This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Welcome to Amazing Grace for another week. I pray you will be blessed by our program today. My name is Warren, and here at Amazing Grace, we would love to hear from you. Uh, If you've got a comment to make, or perhaps you've got a question, maybe I've shared something, or maybe we have shared something that you would like to perhaps clarify, or just find out what our train of thought was on that particular point. Uh, remember, we have two free giveaways. Uh, the book, Steps to Jesus, a wonderful little book uh, about how to get to know Jesus better. And um, I think we will actually go and read through that again at some stage soon. Um, also, the book, Desire of Ages, which is about the life of Jesus. Um, it's a commentary on the Gospels. A wonderful um, book that brings out lots of spiritual thoughts. Um, I know that you would be very blessed, and that's why I'm reading from it. I'm trying to whip your appetite for just how spiritual this book is. Okay, um, the most spiritual book you can read is the Bible for sure. But there are a number, of, especially for people who are making their way towards God, um, they might find the Bible just to start with a little challenging. Um, and this book just does a wonderful has a wonderful way of bringing out all the spiritual thoughts uh, from the Bible. We would be happy to pray for you, either on air or off air. And if you contact us, we'd be happy we'd be happy to do that. Um, now you can contact us in a number of ways. The first way is you can contact the station, or secondly, you can contact us by email on triple nine Amazing Grace at gmail.com. That's 999-AMAZINGGRACE, and Amazing Grace has only one G, at gmail.com. Or you could call or text us on 027-229-6624. That's 027-229-6624. And... uh, yeah, we'd be happy to hear from you. Look, if you would like one of those free giveaways, just send a text or an email, and we'd be happy to post it out to you. All right, friends, before we go any further, let's just pause and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to share with the people of the Manawatu and the outlying regions, and pray, Lord, for a blessing upon our listeners and their families We seek your presence, asking and praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to start off our program by looking at salvation. 
or how. So salvation comes by a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And, you know, just to say that we have a relationship with him is is a very simple thing to say, and it's true. But um, I just pray that as we share these thoughts with you that um, it might help just in bite-sized pieces uh, to take hold of the understanding of salvation. And surrender is part of that. And so we're going to be looking at uh, surrender today, uh, right now and, and a little later as well. Day by day, God instructs his children by the circumstances of the daily life. His is preparing them to act their part upon the wider stage to which his providence has appointed them. It is the issue of the daily test that determines the victory or defeat in life's great crises. So there may be a series of little events or based upon one issue. Am I going to do it? Myself, or am I going to trust God to do it? If I fail and continue to fail day by day, I can plan on a big wrestling with the angel some night by the book Jabbok. It happened to Jacob. It happened to Joseph. He must have failed a number of little crises, such as thinking that he was pretty big in comparison with his other brothers. That's Joseph, of course. But you see him bound as a slave on his way to Egypt, crying his eyes out. Peter found himself clutching the ground and grinding his face into the dirt in Gethsemane, wishing he could die because he had failed the crisis on the lake, failed again in the discussion about the temple taxes, not until he realized his weakness by the fire as he saw the pain he had brought to the one he loved the most, did he experience absolute dependence upon Christ? If conversion got by you imperceptibly and you are the one of those people who would never point to a time or date or even year, if you've just been a good church member all your life, remember the absolute surrender is not going to come easily. The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all the will of God, all the will to God, requires a struggle. The crisis of surrender, the being broken, the falling on the rock, is a big crisis in the life of a Christian. We are not indicating that you have have to be totally transformed to be able to be accepted by God. Jacob was accepted by God at Bethel. We are talking about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Whatever form that great crisis takes in your life, just remember that when the hand of God is placed on your shoulder, it is not the hand of the enemy. It's the hand of your best friend you will ever have. And you know, talking about the Holy Spirit, we know that in the the parable of the ten virgins um, and looking at end times and looking at God's people and what did the, the foolish lack? They lacked the Holy Spirit. They lacked the oil. There was some, some oil because they had a lamp, but it went out very quickly. It means they really didn't have this real connection with God. They hadn't fully surrendered their lives. Friends, between now and the end, if you don't want to be a foolish virgin, you need to surrender your life fully to God. 
And, you know, that is not an easy thing. And I'm speaking from experience. But one way or another, that needs to happen. The sooner it happens, the easier it is on us. And so it's probably better just to make that decision. Lord, take me as holy thine. And you do your will in my life. To trust God and not to trust in self is the secret. Was blind, but now I see. Uh uh-huh.
Listening to Amazing Grace here on Manaba Two People's Radio. It's come time for the health tip of the week. And before, uh, when Rex used to come on our program, he was always talking about whole grains. Everything was about whole grains, and, and I'm actually dealing with whole grains as well, but from a slightly different point of view and a slightly different angle because. I'm trying to point out to you the importance of dietary fiber in your diet. Most of us need to eat more fiber. Um, The good thing about fiber is it has fewer added sugars. Eating plenty of fiber is associated with a lower risk of heart disease, stroke, type type 2 diabetes, and bowel cancer. Now, that's probably the... The most of the cancers, it's not all of them obviously, but it's the ones that are all involved in um, our diet. And so if we improve our diet and we eat more dietary fiber, it's not to say that we, we can't eat uh, takeaways occasionally. It's not to say that we can't eat um, a little bit of cheese or something like that occasionally. you know. And But if we eat what's right, then we can eat a little bit of the, the naughty food. But if you want to have a healthy diet, you need to eat at least 30 grams of dietary fiber every day. Now, I actually thought it was about 25, um, but I don't know if they've changed the recommendations or not. But they say um, two to five years old children need about 15 grams a day. 5 to 11 needs about 20, and 11 to 16 needs about 25, and obviously older than 16, you need 30. And if you eat plenty of fruit and vegetables, it is not hard, it is not hard at all to get the 30 grams a day. I I would say, of what I see people eat today, I, I, I would be very surprised. I know here it says that people average about 20 grams a day, I don't think most people would average that. To be honest, just from what I see, maybe I don't see everybody, but from what I see in the foods that I see people eating, um, I think it would be more like around the 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day, and maybe for some people even less. So, you know, um, I think there used to be a bit of a drive in New Zealand about the five was it five fruit and vegetables a day? Um, look, if you were to eat five 
fruits and vegetables. I think they've actually upgraded that to seven, and and I think some people might even advocate nine. Um, but if you can get up around that five to seven, maybe even higher, would obviously help. Um, because the good thing about fibre is, if you eat too much, it doesn't do you any harm. It just gets flushed out of your system. So we want to really encourage you um, to eat more fiber. And you might be asking, well, well, what can I do? What sort of things can I eat uh, that would increase my fiber? So, so for example, um, breakfast, um, things such as um, wheat mix, um, perhaps muesli, porridge, rolled oats, all of those things are a good source of fiber. Now, one of the things that you do need to, take, to be aware of is that some particular brands of breakfast cereals tend to have a lot of sugar in them, uh, which sort of isn't good. Um, and so I would encourage you to look for ones that are low in sugar, high in fiber. Bread, look for grainier breads, higher fiber White bread, if you like, if you really are into into white bread, you can buy high fiber white bread, uh, but you're better off choosing whole grains, whole wheat. Um, the other thing is pasta. Um, now I do my shopping in town, and I'm I'm not advertising for Pack and Save, but I just I happen to do my shopping at Pack and Save, and they sell a pasta. And I should actually have a look at the box, but it comes in a box in the pasta area. And the pasta was actually made, some of it of lentils, some of it is made of chickpeas, some of it is made of combinations of those things. And so when we eat pasta now, we eat that pasta as opposed to eating normal pasta, which is just made from white flour, which almost has almost no goodness in it at all. You're probably just about eating nothing. It's probably what you add with, you know, the tomato sauce or whatever you put in with your pasta that gives it any nutrition. So I, I would recommend finding it or a whole grain pasta, but some people don't like the taste of whole grain pasta. It definitely is a much darker and a much stronger um, tasting pasta. But these ones that, I, that I've found in Pack and Save um, in a box, in a rectangular box, um, they are very high in fibre. And so, you know, when you start just shifting a little, a few little things in your life, you'll find that, you're, um, you'll find that this really helps. Another, another thing is that, uh, like for example, is to eat potatoes with the skins on uh, or maybe to eat more kumara. Um, Kuma is very high in fiber. Add things like pulses, like beans, lentils, chickpeas to stews, curries, and salads. You know, um, my wife quite often makes a, um, a salad. I mean, you can have a green salad, but you can also have a salad that's got things like beetroot, um, chickpeas, um, and... We we quite like also um, Greek salad, which is which is very healthy as well. That Mediterranean diet is usually high in fiber. Yeah, especially olives, very good for you. Which just reminds me, I need to buy some more. Uh, so, 
I'm going to probably have to pull the pin there because we've probably gone as long as I want to on that, but I'm just going to continue each week to talk about the importance of fibre because we want to see people healthy. We don't want to see people in hospital with with, uh, bowel cancer. We don't want to see people in hospital with um, problems with their heart or strokes. We want to see healthy New Zealanders. And so we're going to keep sharing, and hopefully some of you, will take heed of what we're sharing about the importance of eating a more healthier diet. Remember, it's not what you occasionally eat. So you can occasionally have things that are not so good for you. It's what you mainly eat. It's the rule. What do you eat 80% of? That's the most important thing, and that's what we would like to help you to to just move slowly to those things that are going to be more healthy for you and your body. And if your body is well, then you're going to be happy, and then your family is going to be happy. And uh, so we want to see happy people.
You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt, Romans 4.4. 4. When a person first begins to understand that God offers a life of freedom, peace and fulfillment through righteousness by faith in Jesus, the devil gets nervous. He has worked for a long as possible to keep everyone away from any interest in God whatever. He doesn't want anyone to come to Jesus and find rest. The further away we stay, the better he likes it. But if he fails to keep us from being drawn, to keep us from searching into the things of God, he still has other tactics. The first of these is to try and get us to work on righteousness. It is possible to spend years of futile effort working hard on the externals, trying to make yourself good enough to be accepted by God. Finally, the realization comes that righteousness is by faith in Jesus alone. We learn that external goodness is insufficient. We see that our hearts are evil and we cannot change them, even if we are successful in improving our behavior. At this point, the devil comes in with another clever sidetrack. He tries to get us to work on our faith. He brings in all of the arguments in favor of positive thinking and urges us to concentrate on making ourselves believe. He tries to get us more interested in claiming promises in the one who, than, than the one who made the promises. When we pray primarily for answers and we don't get the answers we expect, he can then destroy our faith in God while professing to be exercising it. When we realize that we cannot develop either righteousness or faith by our own efforts, the devil makes the final attempt to keep us from coming to Christ. Now you've, you've got it right, he says. What you need to do is to give up. You must try hard to give up. It has been good news for many of us who have tried time after time again to make ourselves surrender. That surrender is a gift also. As surely as righteousness and faith are gifts, no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Every gift that God has to give us, righteousness, peace, faith, victory, eternal life, and even surrender, is available in only one way, by coming into relationship with the giver through a personal communication with Jesus Christ. It's the only way, friends. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Welcome back to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. Okay, as we start the second half of our program, we just want to continue on the theme of salvation. And I've entitled this particular part, You Can't Crucify Yourself. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew ten thirty nine. Whenever Jesus spoke of the cross, he always referred to it as our cross, neither as his cross. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.38 If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 
It was on our cross and place that Jesus suffered and died. If you were to decide to take your own life, there would be many routes available. You could put a pistol to your head and pull the trigger. You could take an overdose of a number of drugs. You could jump off a high bridge or building. But there is one thing that you can never do. You cannot crucify yourself. If you were going to be crucified, someone else must do it for you. The yoke and the cross are symbols representing the same thing, the giving up of the will to God. The very symbol used by Christ to represent complete surrender demands that this be accomplished by someone other than ourselves. No matter how hard we might try to crucify ourselves, we simply cannot do it. No matter how hard we might try to surrender ourselves, we can't do that either. We can only consent for someone else to do the work for us. If we cannot crucify ourselves, if we cannot surrender ourselves, then it is inevitable that we cannot set up the timing either. Every event in Christ's life moved according to God's timetable. That's the Father's timetable. Christ did nothing to hasten or delay the crisis, nor did he attempt to escape when the crisis came. He accepted God's plan for his life on a daily basis and did not try to work it out. Excuse me, he did not try to work out his own plans. So it must be with us. Jesus himself allowed room for growth. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear, Mark 4.28. Our effort towards hastening, either growth or surrender, is fruitless. We can only seek to know Jesus, seek personal fellowship with him, and trust him to finish the work which he has begun in our lives. He will lead us on to complete surrender to him, if we will but just spend time with Jesus each and every day. Every day they pass me by I can see it in their eyes Empty people filled with care Headed who knows where People need the Lord 
Listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, friends, in our last segment today, we're going to read uh, from the book, The Desire of Ages, the book I talked about a little at the start of our program. And it's all based on the Bible, um, but the writer brings out many spiritual applications. And so, Today's chapter is chapter 44, The True Sign, and it's based on Matthew fifteen twenty nine to 39, Mark seven thirty one to 37, and Mark 8, 1 to 21. Okay, and he, being Jesus, of course, went out from the borders of Tyre and came through Sidon unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the borders of Decapolis, Mark seven thirty one. It was in the region of Decapolis that the demoniacs of Gergesa had been healed. Here the people, alarmed at the destruction of the swine, had constrained Jesus to depart from among them. But they had listened to the messengers he had left behind, and a desire was aroused to see him. As he came again into that region, a crowd gathered about him, and a deaf, stammering man was brought to him. Jesus did not, according to his custom, restore the man by word only, 
taking him apart from the multitude, he put his fingers in his ears and touched his tongue. Looking up heavenward, he sighed at, as though of the ears that would not be open to the truth and the tongues that refused to acknowledge the Redeemer. At the word, be opened, the man's speech was restored, and disregarding the command to tell no man, he published abroad the story about his cure. Jesus went up onto a mountain, and there the multitude flocked to him, bringing their sick and lame and laying them at his feet. He healed them all, and the people, heathen as they were, glorified the God of Israel. For three days they continued to throng about the Saviour, sleeping at night in the open air, and through the day pressing eagerly to hear the words of Christ and to see his works. At the end of the three days their food was spent. Jesus would not send them away hungry, and he called his disciples to give them food. Again the disciples revealed their unbelief. At Bethsaida, they had seen how, with Christ's blessing, their little store availed for the feeding of the multitude, yet they did not now know, bring forward their all, trusting his power to multiply it for the hungry crowds. Moreover, those whom he fed at Bethsaida were Jews. These were Gentiles and heathen, Jew. Jewish prejudice was still strong in the hearts of the disciples, and they asked Jesus, Whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? But obedient to his word, they brought him what they had, seven loaves and two fishes. The multitudes were fed, and seven large baskets of fragments remaining. 4,000 men, besides women and children, were thus refreshed, and Jesus sent them away with glad and grateful hearts. Then taking a boat with his disciples, he crossed the lake to Magdala at the southern end of the plain of Gennesaret. In the border of Tyre and Sidon, his spirit had been refreshed by the confiding trust of a Syrophoenician woman. The heathen people of Decapolis had received him with gladness. Now, as he landed once more in Galilee, where his power had been most strikingly manifested, where most of his works of mercy had been performed and his teachings given, he was met with a contemptuous unbelief. A deputation of Pharisees had been joined by representatives from the rich and lordly Sadducees. The party of the priests, the sceptics, and the aristocracy of the nation. The two sects had been at bitter enmity. The Sadducees courted the favour of the ruling power in order to maintain their own position and authority. The Pharisees, on the other hand, fostered the popular hatred against the Romans, longing for the time when they could throw off the yoke of the conqueror. But Pharisee or Sadducee now united against Christ. Like seeks like, and evil, where it exists, leagues with evil for the destruction of the good. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Christ, asking for a sign from heaven. When in the days of Joshua, Israel went out to battle with the Canaanites, 
at Beth Horon, the sun had stood still as the leader's command until victory was gained, and many similar wonders had been manifest in their history. Some such sign was demanded of Jesus, but these signs were not what Jesus, what the Jews needed. No, mere external evidence could benefit them. What they needed was not intellectual enlightenment, but spiritual rent. Renovation. O ye hypocrites, said Jesus, you can discern the face of the sky. By studying the sky, they could foretell the weather. But can you not discern the signs of the times? Christ's own words spoken with the power of the Holy Spirit that convinced them of sin were the sign that God had given for their salvation. And signs direct from heaven had been given to attest the ministry of Christ. The song of the angels to the, to, the hev- to the shepherds, the star that guided the wise men, the dove and the voice from heaven at his baptism were all witnesses for him. And as he sighed deeply in the spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? There shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, Christ was to be in the same time in the heart of the earth. And as the preaching of Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so Christ's preaching was assigned to his generation. But what a contrast in the reception of the word. The people of the great heathen city trembled as they heard the warning from God. Kings and nobles humbled themselves. The high and the lowly together cried to the Lord of heaven, and his mercy was granted unto them. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, Christ had said, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Matthew twelve forty and 41. Every miracle that Christ performed was a sign of his divinity. He was doing the very work that had been foretold of the Messiah. But to the Pharisees, these works of mercy were a positive offense. The Jewish leaders looked with heartless indifference on human suffering. In many cases, their selfishness and oppression had caused the affliction that Christ re- relieved. Thus his miracles were to them a reproach. That which led the the Jews to reject the Saviour's work was the highest evidence of his divine character. The greatest significance of his miracles is seen in the fact that they were for the blessing of humanity. The highest evidence that he came from God is that his life revealed the character of God. He did the works and spoke the words of God. Such a life is the greatest of all miracles. When the message of truth is presented in our day, there are many who, like the Jews, cry, show us a sign, work us a miracle. Christ's work wrought no miracle at the demand of the Pharisees, He wrought no miracle in the wilderness in answer to Satan's insinuations. He does not impart to us power to vindicate ourselves or to satisfy the demands of unbelief 
and pride. But the gospel is not without a sign of its divine origin. It is not a miracle that we can break from the bondage of Satan. Enmity against Satan is not natural to the human heart. It is implanted by the grace of God. When one who has been controlled by a stubborn, wayward will is set free and yields himself wholeheartedly to the drawing of God's heavenly agencies, a miracle is wrought. So also when a man who has been under strong delusion comes to understand moral truth, every time a soul is converted and learns to love God and keep his commandments, the promise of God is fulfilled. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. The change in human hearts, the transformation of human characters, is a miracle that reveals an ever-living Saviour working to rescue souls. A A consistent life in Christ is a great miracle. In the preaching of the Word of God, The sign that should be manifest now and always is the presence of the Holy Spirit to make the word a regenerating power to those who hear. This is God's witness before the world to the divine mission of his own Son. Those who desired a sign from Jesus had so hardened their hearts in unbelief that they did not discern in his character the likeness of God. They would not see that his mission was in fulfillment of the scriptures. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus said to the Pharisees, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Though one was raised from the dead, no sign that could be given in heaven or earth would benefit man. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and turning from the group of cavillers re-entered the boat with his disciples. In sorrowful silence they again crossed the lake. They did not, however, return to the place they had left but directed their course towards Bethsaida, near where the five thousand had been fed. Upon reaching the farther side, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The Jews had been accustomed since the days of Moses to put away leaven from their houses at the Passover season, and they had thus been taught to regard it as a type of sin. Yet the disciples failed to understand Jesus. In their sudden departure from Magdala, they had forgotten to take bread, and they had with them only one loaf. To this circumstance, they understood Christ to refer, warning them not to buy bread of a Pharisee or Sadducee. Their lack of faith and spiritual insight had often led to a similar misconception of his words. Now Jesus reproved them for thinking that he who had fed thousands with a few fish and barley loaves could in that solemn warning have re- <coughs> <coughs> referred merely to temporal food. 
It was danger that the crafty reasoning of the Pharisees and Sadducees would leaven his disciples with unbelief, causing them to think lightly of the words of Christ. The disciples were inclined to think that their master should have granted them the demand for a sign in the heavens. They believed that he was fully able to do this and that such a sign would put his enemies to silence. They did not discern the hypocrisy of these cavillers. Months afterwards, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch as they trod upon one another, Jesus repeated the same teaching. He began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Luke 12, 1. And we might just um, we might just leave that there. Um, although this probably would be a good opportunity just to to uh, perhaps read this next paragraph because in it there's a story that will actually help you to understand what Jesus was talking about. The leaven placed in the meal works imperceptibly, changing the whole mass until its own nature. So if a hypocrisy is allowed to exist in the heart, it permits the character and the life. A striking example of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Christ had already rebuked in denouncing the practice of Corbin, by which of neglect of filial duty was concealed under a pretense of liberality towards the temple. The scribes and Pharisees were insinuating deceptive principles. They concealed the real tendency of their doctrines and improved every occasion to instill them artfully into the minds of their hearers. These false principles, when once accepted, would, like leaven in the meal, permeating and transforming the character. It was this deceptive teaching that made it so hard for the people to receive the words of Christ. Wonderful book, um, talking about the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And I um, know you would be very blessed um, to have a copy and to to be able to read it. Um, I just find it very very blessed um, as I read through this particular book. All right, friends, we've come to the end of our time together this week. Um, I pray that you've been blessed by the program. And what we're really just trying to share is the gospel. Uh, We want to see people in heaven, and we also share the piece about the health tip because we want to see people's healthy you know, if you're unhealthy, it's hard to be happy. It's hard to make good choices and decisions. Uh, and I know that in my life, before I, I came to the Lord, that I made a decision about my health. I was I was getting overweight, and I was having to buy new clothes because my clothes would no longer fit me. And I made a decision at that point that I would start eating more healthier food I mean, still ate fish and chips sometimes. I still, you know, had food that probably wasn't so healthy. But 80% of the time I started eating healthy food and the weight started falling off me and um, it helped me to think better. It helped me to make better decisions. And uh, so we care about the, the whole person, not only the spiritual part of your life, but we care about the physical part of your life and we want to see the very best for you. So friends, let's just finish with prayer. Father in heaven, I just pray for our listeners and their families. We pray, Lord, uh, we give you praise and thanks for the gospel. 
Uh, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that each one of us can have a relationship with Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that you will give this desire to uh, our listeners and their families. Father, may we be drawn closer to you, and may the words that, that I have shared today be brought back to the memory of those who have heard it, Lord, at the right time. Father, we just leave ourselves in your care, giving you awesome praise and thanks, asking this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So from all of us here at Amazing Grace, we pray that you will grow in grace. May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.